This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. If I've got a thought for a title today, it really doesn't matter that I have a title. But if I were going to have one, it's, it's in my heart, but it's not for me. It's in my heart, but it's not for me. I want to read you this passage of Scripture, and it's kind of long. It is on the screen, uh, and I'm going to jump around just a little bit. But I'm starting in First Chronicles chapter 28. I'll give you a second to get there because I've been talking and I told you that. Isn't it a good day? Yeah? First Chronicles chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and then I'm jumping to verse 20. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes, the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and his sons, with the officials, the valiant men, and the mighty men of valor. Then the king arose to his feet and said, Hear me, brethren, and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. That is where the whole thought process comes from. It's in my heart, but it's not for me. David had a plan. He had even been given the clear instruction. He had made preparation. It was in his heart to make a difference and to, to create a place for the glory of the Lord to reside. He wanted this, but God would not allow him to do it. So it moves on. It says, however, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. And he's chosen Judah to be the ruler and of the house of Judah, the house of my father and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now he said to me, it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands the intent of the thoughts. I'm thankful that the Lord knows the intention of my hearts, even when my actions don't reflect my intentions. Amen? If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. If you flip to verse 20, it says, 
And David said to his son Solomon, this is my, my verse of scripture. He said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. This whole thought process for me is all about the idea David had intentions. He had preparation. He had the heart to build this place, this temple. Why was there a need for a temple? We know that the people of Israel, as they traveled and wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and they, uh, for years since they left Egypt and they made that mass exodus, for years they have put God's glory in a temporary tent. They have carried the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and it's wandered all over. And wherever they would go, they would uh, certain different tribes of people would have a responsibility. Some would carry the pole, some would carry the covering, some would carry the, the ornaments and the, the things that were created to, to build the altar. Some would carry all these different pieces and then they'd come together and they would build the tent and they'd stay for a while and then whenever it was time to move it was almost like God's glory would leave and take them to a different place and when that took place they had to pack up the tent and they had to move to the next location and so finally David decided he did not want God's presence to just just rest on uh, the people anymore he didn't want God's presence to just settle every once in a while and then it'd be moved he didn't want it to be temporary he wanted to create a permanent house for the presence of God to rest and there's all these different thoughts and I think that's what I went into a little bit last week because all the, the camp meeting messages and what I what was really fed into my spirit was that we need God's glory to quit just settling down on us and releasing in our houses but we need God's glory to come and literally stay and be here from the time we walk in the door. It's like in the house of God there's this glory that's present and when you walk in there's transformation that takes place. There's this unreal feeling and this unreal spiritual uh, uh, supernatural transformation that's here in the room. We need God's glory to quit just coming and settling on us when all the elements and the conditions are just right. If you think about it, it's almost like we have to have all these things in place for God to move, right? Unfortunately, the place that we've made it to in the church today we have to have the right songs. We have to have the right people in the room. Because if we don't have the right people in the room, then the, the worship isn't the way the worship should be, and we have a hard time getting the Spirit to move. We have a hard time feeling breakthrough. Unfortunately, there's people that, if they're in the room, it's almost like a wet towel thrown on the fire. It's like conditions have to be perfect. It's like the thermostat has to be set on 71 degrees, and everything has to just be flowy, and, and if that doesn't take place, it's like the glory of the Lord is never really felt. When everything is perfect, I can, I can tell you as a worship leader, I can pick out songs, and I can tell you almost to the place that the Spirit's going to move. If you've ever been in a, in a play, y'all know. You've got songs that if you pull out that certain song and you sing that certain verse a certain way or that certain uh, bridge a certain way, you know chances are that the Spirit's going to move and we're going to feel God's glory. Why is it that we can predict the move of the glory of God in such a way? It shouldn't be that way but we've created an atmosphere. We've created a place where all the conditions have to be met for God's glory to take place. 
And David had a vision that it would no longer be that way. It would no longer be that we're chasing the glory of God. It would no longer be that we had to chase after that it was constantly moving and this condition had to be met, this condition had to be met. He had a vision that we're going to build a house for the Ark of the Covenant and that Ark is going to stay there. The Ark is the presence of God. It housed the Ten Commandments, the tablets, and, and it represented the presence and we're going to build a temple, a place, a house for God's glory to rest and God's glory never has to leave there can stay there forever. And David had this heart. I can't imagine what, what that vision must have been like. It's one thing to have a vision to build a church. It's one thing to have a vision to, to build this new ministry, to do this new thing. But can you imagine building the very first temple of God where God's glory would reside? What kind of feeling and weight that must have been on him and what, what kind of passion he must have had for this? It was in his heart, yet it was not for him. Sometimes we have a hard time swallowing that. Sometimes we have a hard time accepting the fact that I may have been given the dream, but it's not for me to fulfill. There's a couple things I think that David shows us in this passage of Scripture. First of all, before we move to that place, there's some hope for me in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, you know this passage probably well, but the prophet Joel is prophesying about the last day, the last revival, the last move of the Holy Spirit. He says, it shall come to pass afterward, and it's after these things have taken place to get things back in order, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That in itself is exciting, but for some people that's a struggle. Why can't I prophesy? Why can't God use me to accomplish this task? Why can't God use me to accomplish this goal? And it's exciting because I need my sons and my daughter. I need my son and my daughter and their, their children, their, their grandchildren. I need them to see that move of God. I believe that the world's not going to hell in a handbasket. I believe that the Holy Spirit's on the verge of this amazing outbreak of revival. We don't see it here because it's taking place all around the world around us. I saw some pictures uh, a couple weeks back of Brazil and, and uh, Africa and Mexico. It is unreal, the thousands and thousands and thousands. Uh, it's right now the statistics show that half of Brazil, 50% of the, the, the nation of Brazil is saved and, and filled with the Spirit of God. We only see the United States. Could you imagine walking around, you go to lunch in just a little while, and one out of two people believe and are acting and professing Christians the same way we are? But we don't see that, so we see that our culture is destroying the Christianity and, and it's destroying and, and the world, we are judging everything else based on what we see when the world around us, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming together for these massive revivals and not just that they are, they're Pentecostal, if you'll let me do that, they're Pentecostal spirit-filled revivals where the Holy Spirit's moving on people. Sons and daughters are prophesying around us. And most of those revivals are sparking with people in their 20s and below. It's kind of disappointing to me because I'm no longer in my 20s. We're seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the sons and daughters all around us, but not here. But it does give me hope, right? 
He says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. It's going to be in the heart of some older men and some fathers of the faith, but the reality is it's not for them to accomplish. It's for the next generation. I'm really not preaching as a youth pastor today, although that's what it sounds like. Then there's this other thought in 1 Kings chapter 3. This is a lengthy passage, but I'll read it to you the best I can. It says, and Solomon said, this is verses 6 through 14. And Solomon said, you've shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you've given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding of heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. He asked for wisdom, understanding. He needed guidance. Then God said to him, because you've asked this thing, I've not asked, I have not, have not asked for a long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise understanding heart so that, this is important, there has not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived. All he did was ask the Lord for wisdom. I love the rest of that verse, but because he didn't ask for riches and glory, God poured out riches and glory. That's not important in this message. Solomon was wiser than David. I hope and pray that my babies have more sense than I have. You agree? I hope they don't make the same decisions. I hope they don't make the same, that they don't have the same failures. I hope that there's times when I need to be more humble, that they are humble. I hope that my kids are better than I am. And we see this taking place in this relationship between David and Solomon. And we see David's perspective here in just a moment. But what we see right here is Solomon's perspective. We understand that Solomon knew his place. He knew even though he was put as the king, he was going to be the king of Israel. He knew he was not all that in a bag of chips. He knew that he needed help. He knew that he needed wisdom. So in order for this next whole thought process to make any sense, we have to let the young people, the young people we're pouring into, have to realize there's a need for them for wisdom. There's a need for them for guidance. They have to be teachable, and unless they're teachable, it's all useless, right? And so here's a couple thoughts out of this first Chronicles 28.20. The first thing David said to Solomon, he said, be strong and of good courage. David encouraged Solomon. David knew what it was like to have nobody to encourage him. He knew what it was like to be off on an island. You know what it's like to be off on an island, and there's nobody there to give you an attaboy. There's nobody there to pick you up and say, hey, keep pushing forward, right? 
So if we know what that's like and we understand the feeling of that, here, here it is in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. David was now greatly distressed for the people spoke of him, uh, stoning him because of the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. The King James Version says David encouraged himself in the Lord. If we understand that feeling like David understood that feeling, he knew Solomon's got a major task in front of him. Solomon's not equipped for this. He's not ready for this. He don't have a clue what it's going to look like. He don't have a clue what it's going to be like. But he encouraged him. And it is for me this perfect illustration that in order for the next generation to rise up behind us, they have to be encouraged. The second thought is David commissioned Solomon. I love this whole thought process. <laughs> the New King James just says, and do it. Be of good courage. Do not be afraid. Be strong. Be of good courage and do it. Sometimes I need somebody to come up beside me and say, listen, get up, shut up, and do it. Most of the time it's Micah. Sometimes we need people to come beside us and say, yes, this is hard. I ain't got a clue what it's going to look like for you. I have no idea what you're about to walk through in this season. But you got to walk through it. Get up. You're, you're great. Encourage. Be strong. Be of good courage. Keep walking forward. I'm here for you. You're encouraged. Now go do it. Get it done. God's given this vision. I didn't read you the passage. What took place between verse number 11 and verse number 20 is David gives all these details of exactly what was needed for the temple and exactly what it was going to be. And, and I didn't read you all that for the sake of time, but he's presented, he's laid all this out, almost given the blueprint. And I can't imagine the overwhelmness that it would be. If it was his vision, it would be different, but it wasn't. It wasn't in the heart of Solomon. It was in the heart of David. And here, David has passed this information along for Solomon to be the one to do the work. Sometimes that's the hardest work to do. When it's not our, our brainchild, if you will, when it's not our God-given uh, God vision, when it's not what's burning in us to accomplish, those are the hardest tasks to fulfill. And, and David said, do it. We've got to have people coming beside us. We've got to have people that are willing to lay down their mantle so that somebody else can pick it up. And when we take it off, when we lay down our cloak, we've got Elijah and Elisha. Whenever we, we take it off and we leave it because we've got to take it off and we've got to leave it because it's not all about us, we've got to walk behind somebody and say, hey, you need to pick that up and put it on because now it's your turn. He commissioned Solomon. He charged Solomon, if you will. But then he did something else. He said, be strong and good courage and do it. Then he said, don't fear or be afraid for the Lord. And I love that next little phrase. For the Lord, my God, is with you. My God. David said, if you sit down just a minute, Solomon, 
let me walk you through what God's done in my life. He's displaying his own faith. He said, it's not just, hey, uh, the Lord your God's going to be with you. He said, no, the Lord my God is going to be with you. How can we expect the people behind us, even beside us, to be filled with that faith and to be looking for God to do something great in them if we're not willing to share what he's done for us? If we're not willing to take ownership ourselves, my God is going to be with you. Even when you're down and out, Solomon, even whenever things are not working real well for you, even when you're discouraged, even through all of these, when everybody around you wants to stone you, Solomon, I can testify that the Lord, my God, the one that brought me through the valley of the shadow of death, that allowed me to fear no evil, the one that's never left me, my God, Solomon, will be right there with you all the way. We can take that. Father's Day, this message was intended to be preached to fathers, but I think it's for all of us. Looking at a father-son relationship, he displayed his faith. Lastly, he was prophesying over Solomon. It says, he'll not leave you nor forsake you until you finish all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. If David's speaking that, then he's speaking into existence that Solomon is going to finish all the work for the house of the Lord. Right? He said, I know my God. And my, my God's not going to leave you. But here's what you're about to accomplish. See, the old men get to dream dreams. Because honestly... Uh, for me, the difference between dreams and visions are the dreams you're asleep, the visions you can see taking place as you walk through life, right? That's my common sense kind of difference. I mean, realistically, the old men sometimes are hanging out in the recliner taking their cat nap. And I believe God can give them the dreams. They're given the dreams that they can pass on and say, listen, this is in my heart. It's not for me to do. It's for you to do. Now get the vision and run with it. David said, this isn't for me. But you, son, you are going to complete a house where God's glory is going to reside. And until it's completed, God's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you, regardless of what you come up against, regardless of, of the shortage of water, regardless of the shortage of gold, regardless of the shortage of, of the stone. No matter what kind of work has to be put in, God's not going to leave you, nor, nor is he going to forsake you. And you're going to complete the work for the house of the Lord. He prophesied over it. I know Mitchell often does not prophesy over somebody's life enough. I don't want to be wrong, right? But if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit and we're walking with the Spirit daily, I told you last week, maybe you've got a crazy number that pops in your mind about a giving situation, YWA, you're looking for that crazy number, whatever that crazy number is. Didn't really intend to plug this, but I do hope you're praying for your crazy number. When that crazy number pops in your mind, I believe the same way that God brings that crazy number to your mind, you can look at somebody and say, hey, you are incredible. You've got a calling on your life and you're going to do great things for the Lord. If it ain't there, don't say it. I looked at a young man this week. His name's Michael. And 
it's not like me to say that because I've seen too many people forced into ministry and I've seen too many people have a calling put on them by man. This young man, he had been on the altar and been prayed for and he went and sat down in his seat. I just went and sat down beside him. I felt like the Lord was really leading me just to have a conversation. We were done praying. He was done praying. I just want to talk to him. And his face was pale and his hands were just shaking. I said, man, you okay? Yes, sir. He was crying. I said, you want to talk about it? And he was praying for his brother. I said, anything else you want to talk about? He said, my face is numb. He said, my hands are tingling. He said, I know it's the power of God all over me. He said, I don't even really know what to do with this. He said, but I, I, I want to be able to pray for other people that they would feel this power, that they would experience what I felt today. I said, well, dude, I like that preacher. He's a good guy, but he ain't nobody. When he laid his hands on you and you felt the glory of God all over you, it wasn't the preacher. It was the anointing and it was the spirit of God in his life. And he operated in that. He just had the strength and the faith to lay his hands on you. And when he did, the spirit of God went all over you and your face turned tingly and numb and your hands are tingly and numb and you can't help but snot and cry all over the place. I said, God's going to use you to do the same thing. I said, it's just a matter of you having the faith to do so. That was Wednesday night. Thursday night, we had the prayer line. And my dude come through the prayer line and he was, the Holy Ghost was all over this kid. And he gets in the prayer line. My job, Micah's job in the prayer line was we're praying over kids, but as we pray over kids, we're directing them out of the way so the line can continue. Traffic directors, if you will. And this kid makes it here, and I turn around and look, and him and one other boy have got in line, and they're laying hands on kids. And so I stepped over. I said, well, listen, if you're going to do this, let's talk about it. Let's do it right. First of all, on the girls, you only touch their head and their shoulder. Don't touch anything else. Second of all, you're only praying for the power of God to fall in their life. You want them to experience the same thing you've experienced. Do you believe you can do that? Yes, sir. I said, then pray like you can. It was unreal. This kid laid hands on so many people, and they were, I mean, the spirit came all over them. And all I did was took the time to say, hey, let me help you with this. I'm standing in the altar after service. We've been there a ridiculously long time. And he comes over. He says, hey, thanks for teaching me tonight. Thanks for teaching me how to do this. I said, man, you're welcome. I needed somebody to teach me, and I know you needed somebody to teach you. Now take it back home to your church and blow your pastor's mind when you start laying hands on people and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. I said, you got anybody else here? Yeah, one other girl. I said, well, you need to get her saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. So there's two of you, light a fire, blow your church up. It was just amazing. And I looked at him. That was the whole point of the whole story. Sorry, I missed it. I looked him in the eyes one time. He's bawling. I said, son, I won't tell people this, but you've got a calling and an anointing on your life. God's going to use you. Thousands of people are going to be touched by you. I would have no other kid whatsoever at that camp. Did I say that to him? Would I have said that to I said, God's going to use you. Unfortunately, the devil hates you, and he wants to kill you. And tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and question all of this. Don't stop pursuing your calling. Don't stop pursuing that anointing. Don't stop pursuing what you got here tonight, because if you keep pursuing, your calling is real.
I prophesied over the kid. It ain't me. I'd have never told him that. I believe wholeheartedly without a question in my mind when I looked at him, the Holy Spirit's all over him. I know he's got a calling on his life. We don't do it often enough. We're not encouraging enough. Sometimes it's because we don't know how to carry on a conversation. We don't know how to relate because the generational gap is so big. For, for some reason, sometimes it's difficult for fathers and sons to have the conversations, the difficult conversations, the conversations where, where a father can say, hey, son, I messed up. I screwed up when I did this. Let me help you not make this same mistake. We've got to bridge that gap. And David gives us this perfect illustration in this one verse of Scripture. Be encouraged, son. Be strong. You are a mighty man of God. Have courage. It ain't in your strength. It's in your weakness, actually, that the power of God can be made whole. Be strong. Young lady, be strong. Don't judge yourself by what you see in the mirror. Don't judge yourself by what anybody else says about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Walk in the strength of the beauty of who God created you to be. Be encouraged. But you got to do it. Do the work. Put in the work. We're representing our faith. And then we got to take the time to prophesy. Josh, would you come help me? Maybe you've heard the heart today. I hope so. It's not only younger ages that have to be ministered to like this. It's more so the Lord really kind of laid on my heart. It's not even really necessarily younger generations. We better pour into the younger generations. If we don't, I mean, let's be real. Look around. If we ain't poured into generations, what's the church going to be in 10 years? We've got to. But as much as we've got to pour into younger generations, this is as much about the younger in the faith. Because we all need to be encouraged. We all need to be lifted up. Sometimes we all need to be told, get up, shut up, and do it. We all need to follow somebody else's example in the faith. You can't live on my faith, but I hope, sure enough, you can look at my faith and find something in it that you say, he, he, I believe when he tells me that I can do this, when I believe when he's encouraging me, I believe his God really is. I can look back and I can see God doing great things in his life. And if God's going to do it in his life, he can do it in my life. And we've got to speak some life into some of these people so that they know they matter, so that they know God's got a plan. It's in my heart but it's not for me. That's hard. I would love to see, if you allow me for a second, although I hate it, the good old days. I don't like that phrase because I believe I live in the good old days. 
Am I seeing a move of God the way you saw it? No. Where did the, where did the line get broken? Where did, where did the bridge get broken? I would love to see the Shekinah glory move in this house. I'd love to see us sit here till 2 o'clock with the Holy Spirit just move and we can't leave. I love more than anything else. I firmly believe that you want that too. But unfortunately, although it's in your heart, it's no longer for you. You're not going back to the good old days. Instead, you're going to encourage and lift up and pour into some younger people, some younger in the faith people, so that we can all be together, one big happy family, and we can see the good old days in the present day. We can see God pouring out his glory and his presence on all generations, prophesying over them, speaking life into them, telling them, get up, shut up, and do it. I know it's hard. Do it. Because my God, the God of that day, of, you have a time, I know you do, you've got a time in your life where you look back in that prime season in this church and whatever church you came from, whatever it is, you've got a prime season where you look back and say, wow, those were the days God moved. Those days can be the present days. But the way we make that happen now is not the way it did before because it's in my heart. I want it with everything inside of me, but unfortunately, it's not for me to bring that on, but now it's my sons and my daughters that are to prophesy. It's my, the, the young men's, the old men are going to dream the dreams, but the young men's need to see the vision and put it into play. We've got to encourage. We've got to speak life. And we live in that day. But our responsibility is being willing to say, David, I can't imagine what David felt like when God told him, man, you've made some mistakes. He didn't really say you made mistakes. He said you're a warrior. We know David made mistakes. The whole book of Psalms is, <laughs> the majority of it's written out of David's mistakes. Yet we think that nobody can mess up, and if they mess up, God can't use them. I just filtered. That's baloney. You look at David's life, and it really wasn't the mess-ups that caused him not to be able to build a temple. It was because he was a warrior. He had fought. He had shed blood. You fought some battles. I've fought some battles. That, Lord, have mercy. I hope my children never will fight. I hope they never have to go through them. They're going to go through some stuff, but I hope and pray that my babies never have to, to shed the blood that I've had to shed in the Spirit. He said, you can't do this, David, but I've chosen your son to do this. But God, it's in my heart. It's my vision. It's my dream. Doesn't matter. It's not for you. It's for your son. So whatever's in your heart, family, I understand the pressure and the weight that that must have taken. But it's not for you and it's not for me. It's for our sons and daughters. We fought battles that unfortunately have put us in a place that there's things that are planted in us 
that we can't fulfill. But we have to encourage, commission, display our faith, and prophesy over the ones that's going to fulfill it. Father, on this Father's Day, Lord, I want to take just a moment and thank you for being the good Father that you are. Lord, you've never left me. You've never forsaken me. You've allowed me to be encouraged when I was completely discouraged. You've put people in my life to tell me, get up and do it whenever I wanted to lay down and waller in my pity and, and waller in my, my insecurities, whenever I wanted to feel like that I couldn't accomplish it. God, you put people in my life to say, hey, get up. You've got a task to accomplish. You've got something to do. Go do it. Lord, I thank you for the fathers of the faith in front of me, Lord, the, the mothers of faith in front of me that have displayed their faith in a way that I can look back and see their testimony and know, God, you've never left them, and because I'm being commissioned by them, Lord, you're never going to leave me. Lord, God, I thank you for those that have spoke life over me, that have prophesied over me from the time I was a young boy. It meant absolutely nothing to me to stand in the church in Benson, North Carolina and have a big old pastor prophesy over my life and see something in me. God, and, and look me and, and look at me and tell me what I was going to be able to accomplish, that God was going to use me, God. It meant nothing to me in the moment, but I'm so thankful, God, that I hold on to that memory and that there was people in my life to prophesy and speak life over me. Even when I was in a low, low place, God, those people still spoke life and prophesied over my life. God, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for the fathers in the room, the men in the room. Lord, there's a verse of scripture that is on a gift that they're going to receive in just a moment. It says, stand firm in the faith. Be strong, stand firm in the faith, act like men. God, I thank you for the men in the house that truly do act like men that recognize they've got a calling and a mandate on their life to act like men for the men up under them. Lord, this message, of course, is all about this father-son relationship, Lord, but it's for all of us. We've all got a, a mandate on our life that's outlined in this simple verse of Scripture as David gave the, the charge and commission to Solomon. Lord, we want to commit today to fulfilling this mandate. Realizing that there's things that are in our heart, God, that can't be accomplished by us. There's things that you place in our life, God, that are they're burning inside of us. Lord, you even give us the preparation, the, the way that it's got to be done, Father, but unfortunately it's not for us to do. Lord, it's for the next generation behind us. Father, we want to commit today to pour it into them. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for the place that you brought us to is the burden barriers, the torch and mantle carriers. Father, thank you for that. Lord, we recognize our place is to lay down those mantles and lay down our cloaks so somebody else can pick it up and carry it on. Lord, with our support, Hallelujah. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Father. Lord, I pray that you'd send people, God, that need to be spoken into, Lord, that need to be encouraged. Lord, you've brought us through seasons of life. You've given us a testimony, God, so that we could encourage and be a testimony for somebody else. You've shown yourself in our life, God, that we could show ourselves to somebody else and we could let you be displayed to somebody else. Lord, send us those people and let us have your eyes and your heart and your spirit as we see them. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you for this beautiful time together. I thank you, Father, for being our good Father. Lord, I thank you for the fathers in the room, the men that are spiritual fathers, whether they're biological fathers or not, they're spiritual fathers. Lord, I pray a blessing over their life. I pray that you'd give them guidance and godly leadership as they continue to lead and guide and direct. Lord, I pray this message would be heard today in the heart not just in the mind. We need to encourage the discouraged. We need to build up and, and lift up the weak and encourage them that they're strong in you. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that you bless your people, that you keep them, Lord, let your face shine on them, give them grace and peace. Keep us as we go. In the name of Jesus, amen. And amen.